Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour three. Hello, America. How are you? It's the third hour of the program. Eric Erickson here nationwide from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, Georgia, where the skies are blue. I hope that the skies turn blue where you are if they're not already. The weather is just fantastic. The leaves are starting to change colors as they start to fall. Still stuck by that line, the, the G.K. Chesterton line, uh, that the new prime minister of Italy said that swords will be drawn to defend the leaves are green in summer. Uh, it's true. In an upside-down world. And I want to talk about the upside-down world for a minute. Let's take a break from the raw politics of the day to talk about a subject that doesn't get talked about enough. Brad Wilcox is a professor of sociology at the University of Virginia uh, and is the Future of Freedom Fellow at the Institute for Family Studies. He is a researcher into families. His data is research-based, survey-based. It's very interesting, and he focuses on YouGov. YouGov does an annual American family survey for the Deseret News. The Deseret News is a publication out in Utah with ties, I believe, still to the Mormon Church. It's a pretty good newspaper out in in the Utah area. Um, Is it Utah or is it Nevada? Now I can't remember. Um, Out West. It's a good newspaper. Uh, Yep, Salt Lake City. Yep, owned by the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. So it's a good newspaper, has a very good cultural criticism section, and it's been doing the American Family Survey for a number of years. One of the bits in the survey that comes out is that uh, the percentage of American men and women who are married is at an all-time low, 45%. 45% of men and women in this country are married. Now, you should know, and I think this is important, that for a number of years, we have known that one of the secrets to growing intergenerational wealth in this country across racial lines is to, in this order, graduate from high school, get your high school degree, get a job, get married, stay married, and have kids. College is not as important as graduating from high school before you get married, getting married, and not having kids until after you're married. If you do that, the odds, regardless of your race, of creating intergenerational wealth goes up significantly. The odds of you maintaining gainful employment long-term go up significantly. The odds of improved health improved quality of life go up significantly. But over the last number of years, uh, the progressive movement has tried to encourage people to take a different path in life, and it's worked to a degree. Uh, We are lambasted about the patriarchy in this country. We're lambasted about marriage being an old institution of the patriarchy. In 2019, The Atlantic ran an article about what you gain when you lose a spouse. The New York Times started running stories about beyond marriage and how awesome it was for women's liberation to be free of men. More recently, Bloomberg said that, quote, women who stay single and don't have kids are getting richer and have a deep sense of satisfaction and love the financial freedom. 
One woman quoted the article said, quote, I love my life and feel very fulfilled. She had money. She had no man and no kids. She had a full bank account and a set of AA batteries, and she was fine. What all of their suggestions are basically is that marriage and parenthood are bad, and they'll hold you back, and you won't be as prosperous, you won't be as fulfilled, you won't be as happy if you ladies get married and have kids. Essentially, what the American progressive elite in this country have been telling you for some time is that you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. The American Family Survey is now out for 2022. And it shows a couple of things, which I find very interesting. Do you know which group of women are the most financially prosperous? Which women in America have the highest net worth? Which women in America make the most money? Which women in America will be able to retire comfortably? The ones who are married and have kids. That's right. That's right. Married mothers aged 18 to 55 have a mean household income of $133,000 compared to $79,000 for childless single women 18 to 55, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. According to the Census Bureau, married women in America are wealthier, have more money. Their families bring home more money. Now get this. Which group of people is the happiest? 35% of married mothers aged 18 to 55 say they are completely satisfied with their lives, compared to 15% of childless women. Single childless women are 60% more likely to report being lonely. The Wall Street Journal Reported the marriage premium in assets is growing by leaps and bounds. The median net worth of a married couple 25 to 34 years old was nine times higher than the median net worth of single households in 2019. And who are the happiest people in America? Conservative women. They are 15 percentage points happier than liberal women. 31% of conservative women are completely satisfied with their lives versus 16% of liberal women. And the advantage can be explained by the fact that conservative women are 26 more, uh, twenty-six times more likely to be married and 24 times more likely to be happy with their family lives. In other words, it seems the happiest women in America are the least self-centered and more likely to embrace family and being cared for and caring for others. In other words, everything the media has told you for the last few years is crap. Now, let's, let's pull this out. Let's pull this out. And again, you, you can get this in the stack of stuff if you text the word data to 33777. Follow through the link. If you subscribe, you'll be able to see it. Brad Wilcox's research is credible research that is cited by a lot of people on the left and the right. And it always comes back to the old school ideas that we know. Having kids fulfills you. Being married for most people is fulfilling. Pouring your life into singledom causes self-isolation 
and overall harms your mental health. These are things that have been known for some time. And the media, particularly the progressive elite in this country, have pushed back very hard on this stuff. And part of me just feels like there, it, part of it is spiritual warfare. Now, I don't expect you to share my worldview and values. And, and you know, I'm an evangelical Christian, but just, just hear me out on this. There is a, a spirit in the world today, whether you look at it theological or whether you just look at it as mass psychosis or something, driving people to isolate themselves, telling them traditional values and the way people in the past have lived their lives is wrong. And I think it is doing a profound disservice. Uh, it's doing profound disservice in large part because what it is doing is it's telling you to upend the order of life that has been established over centuries for something new and shiny. There's always something new and shiny. What it does is it neglects the democracy of the dead. In orthodoxy, you know, so I, I, I started this hour talking about the, the, the prime minister of Italy, the new lady, she, uh, Georgia Milani, she quoted Chesterton that the time will come when fires will burn, that two plus two equals four, and men will draw swords to defend the leaves are green in June. Chesterton could see where postmodernism would head, where everyone could have their own truth and no one would be committed to the truth. In his work, Orthodoxy, he talked about the democracy of the dead. It's a phrase I love. It will not do for us if we attach great importance to the opinion of ordinary men in great unanimity when we are dealing with daily matters. There is no reason why we should disregard it when we are dealing with the history or fable. Tradition may be defined as an extension of the franchise. Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. All Democrats object to men being disqualified by the accident of birth. Tradition objects to their being disqualified by the accident of death. Democracy tells us not to neglect a good man's opinion, even if he is our groom. Tradition asks us not to neglect a good man's opinion, even if he is our father. I, at any rate, cannot separate the two ideas of democracy and tradition. It seems evident to me that they are the same idea. We have the dead as our councils. The ancient Greeks voted by stones. These shall vote by tombstones. It is all quite regular and official for most tombstones, like most ballot papers, are marked with a cross. What is he actually meaning here? The order of our society is not by accident. We can take the theological construct out. We, we can take out the theological construct of Genesis. We can take out the Judeo-Christian concept of God told man to take wife, male and female together as one, and they shall procreate and they shall dominate the earth and they shall rule over the earth and, and they shall be good stewards of the earth, a man and a woman. They leave and they cleave, as some preachers say. They leave their families, they unite as one. In a monogamous, heterosexual, two-person marriage, they have kids. And we can take all of that out and we can boil it down simply to what G.K. Chesterton was saying. Over thousands of years, mankind, through trial and error, settled on the best way to raise a family and set up life. 
And the way mankind settled on it about 2,000 years ago, and it's been working great ever since, is that you have a man and a woman, they get together, they get married, they have children, they provide for each other, they raise their children, and then their children grow up, get married, have kids of their own, and when the parents get elderly, they then help provide for the parents. And this intergenerational transfer of knowledge and the share of wealth produces a healthy society of future workers and stable citizens. Only in the late 20th, 21st century have progressives come along and said, no, no, we know better than the trial and error of thousands of years of mankind. We shall try something new and we shall persuade people it shall be better. You need not get married to have children and if you do not want to have children, you may kill the child in utero and you go out and make as much money as you want, marry late in life, have no children and you will find fulfillment. You will find happiness. How's that working out for you? The data suggests not so well. The actual data suggests that single people are more miserable than married people. The data suggests that single people are poorer than married people. The data suggests that single people have more worries, have more neuroses, have more isolation, have more need for therapy, are not nearly as well off as those who are married. And those who are single and decide to have children through singledom, not by product of divorce, but out of wedlock, their children tend to grow up poorer, do worse in school, and have worse outcomes in life. That's what progressivism has gotten us. The democracy of the dead said, we tried all of this and it never worked out well, which is why we settled on a two-parent married couple having kids and somebody going to work, maybe both of them going to work, but providing for the family together and growing up intergenerationally. That, that's what the democracy of the dead said. That's what they did for thousands of years. It evolved into that. It started out as polyamorous. It started out as polygamy. It collapsed into a man and a woman, get married, have kids, raise their family, and then one day see the family grow old and raise them and take them to their grave and continue on perpetuating the species, providing a stable workforce, providing a future of humanity. And only when the left came along in the late 20th century said, no, no, we got a better way. Did society go to hell in a handbasket? Because they painted us a vision of a utopian better tomorrow based on our self-interest and our cares and desires. And it turns out at the end of the day, people's self-interest, cares, and desires turns them into selfish isolationists who become miserable. Maybe we should go back to the way the democracy of the dead said we should work. And the research out this year shows us that the people who get married, the women in particular who get married, stay married and have children, have more money, have access to more wealth, and are far happier than those who decided that they were going to go off on their own and reject all of that to do their own thing. It's fascinating data. It can't be dismissed lightly. The researchers have dug into it and it holds up. And yet you're probably not going to hear a lot of the mainstream media cover the data because they've been selling you the narrative of single isolationism and how that's going to turn out good for you when it's not. So winter is coming, and I got to tell you, I love the weight of the bull and branch sheets. I like them in the summer when it's hot and you don't want a lot of covers on you, but in the wintertime, they're just the perfect weight, the perfect, I don't know, smoothness. They're 100% organic cotton threads. They've got super softness. They get softer every time you wash them. They're just the drape when you're laying down and stuff. They're not, they're just perfect sheets. I love them. Uh, I am effusive with my praise for Bull and Branch, and I'm delighted to have them as an advertiser. Look, they're made from the highest quality threads. 
They got superior softness. They got over 25,000 rave customer reviews and counting. I'm one of them. The quality you can tell is great. They hold up well after all the washes I've put them through and they just get softer. It doesn't matter what the thread count is if the fiber sucks, and you can tell they put a lot of great detail into the fibers they use. And look, Bola Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're going to feel the difference. You're not going to want to send them back. The first 100% organic fair trade certified bedding company ever. They used 90% less water than conventional production, zero pesticides, other chemical, chemical, toxic chemicals. They don't use them. It's just fantastic. Listen, I'm effusive with my praise. I love Bull and Branch. Try them for yourself. And again, you get a 30-night risk-free trial, free shipping, returns on all orders. Try the sheets that will make you fall for the coziest night's sleep in the season where you want cozy sheets. 15% off your first set of sheets. Free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Trust me, they're worth it. We've got five bedrooms, five beds, Boland Branch sheets on every bed. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. The day after the New York Times was dismissive of concerns about an election company called Conic, which is part of the conspiracy theories about stolen elections, um, it looks like the head of the company is being carted off to jail top executive of an elections technology company that's been the focus of attention among election deniers was arrested by Los Angeles County officials in connection with an investigation into the possible theft of personal information about poll workers. Eugene Yu, the founder and chief executive of Conic, a technology company, was taken into custody on suspicion of theft. Connick is based in Michigan and develops software to manage election logistics like scheduling poll workers. The company's been accused by groups challenging the validity of the 2020 presidential election with storing information about poll workers on servers in China. The company has denied the the allegation. Mr. Gascon, who is the Los Angeles County District Attorney, said its investigators have found data stored in China and holding that data would violate Connick's contract with the county. The county released few other details about the investigation, but said in its statement that the charges related only to data about poll workers and that the alleged conduct had no impact on the tabulation of votes and did not alter election results. Now, you may be wondering if you're a conspiracy mind, how can they be so sure? Because their data and and what they house and what they do is different from the um, from the election results. Now, this is what's so interesting here is that this is the story that ran yesterday at an invitation only conference in August at a secret location southeast of Phoenix. A group of election deniers unspooled a new conspiracy theory about the 2020 presidential election. Using threadbare evidence or none at all, the group suggested that a small American election software company, Conic, had secret ties to the Chinese Communist Party and had given the Chinese government backdoor access to personal data about 2 million poll workers in the United States. 
In the ensuing weeks, the conspiracy theory grew as it shot around the internet. To believers, the claim showed how China had gained near complete control of America's elections. Some shared LinkedIn pages for Conic employees who have Chinese backgrounds and sent threatening emails to the company and its chief executive. In the two years since Donald Trump lost his re-election bid, conspiracy theorists have subjected elections officials and private companies that play a role in elections to a barrage of outlandish voter fraud claims. Now, this one is was largely dismissed. And yesterday, the New York Times reported the company said none of the allegations are true. And yet, Eugene Yu, an American citizen who immigrated from China in 1986 now is being investigated for putting some of this information on servers in China. Keep in mind, this is not election data. It's data about poll workers, which is separate. There's no evidence at all that they interfered with the election, but could poll workers have been compromised? That's the conspiracy theory. Doesn't look like it, but there you have it. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, you're more than welcome to call in. Uh, I got to move back to oil and gas because there's something else we have to talk about. And this is one of the more deeply destabilizing problems that we may soon be encountering in the nation. And I don't say that lightly. I really, I don't say that lightly. Um, this is the one that if, if I were looking at a story and saying, what do I see as a problem, uh, I would tell you this is the story that should probably be making you think about what exactly is coming. In Germany, BASF has a plant that could plunge Europe into crisis and that crisis could spill over to us. BASF has a plant there, a Ludwig Schaffen site. It's a 10 square kilometer, I don't know how much that is in miles, industrial complex. The company even runs its own network of buses to get employees back and forth through the facility. What the company started doing uh, in the 1950s was they built this elaborate facility. And in this facility, it produces chemicals and byproducts from those chemicals that are then on site also used to produce other things. So, for example, one of the byproducts of the primary chemicals produced is ammonia. The ammonia is then funneled through 1,771 miles worth of piping at the facility from one end to the other, and the ammonia is then used for fertilizer, disinfectant, diesel exhaust fluid. The carbon dioxide is also produced, and the carbon dioxide flows through 1,700 miles of pipe to a different end of the facility, and it's used to carbonate drinks and produce carbonic acid. It's called the composite principle. BASF has been using the composite principle since one, uh, 157 years ago. It's now the world's largest chemical manufacturer. The site requires a massive amount of natural gas to use. In fact, there is so much natural gas used and so much of it interconnected, 125 different things are produced at this one plant. And if they run out of natural gas, 
they're going to have to shut it down. And here's the problem. This plant has literally been in operation nonstop since the 1950s. It has never been depressurized. And there's a fear that if they have to depressurize it because of a natural gas shortage in Europe, it could break. It literally has never been depressurized since the 50s. In fact, BASF, it uses so much natural gas, it uses this one plant. Get this. This is a crazy statistic. This one plant uses so much natural gas, it's equivalent to the entire use of natural gas for the country of Switzerland, this one plant. This one plant uses all of the natural gas that the entire nation of Switzerland uses. And Germany is beginning to ration gas. So there's a problem. There's a very bad problem. A lot of the products, as I mentioned, that are made at this plant are byproducts. So ammonia is a byproduct of the production processes. It's funneled all over the plant and is turned into fertilizer and other things. Carbon dioxide is a byproduct of the production process. It's funneled all over the plant and, and it makes fizzy drinks. It makes, uh, the plant makes ibuprofen. It's the world's largest manufacturer of ibuprofen. One of the actual end products, not a byproduct that's made, but one of the end products that's made is called AdBlue. AdBlue is a liquid used to reduce air pollution in diesel engines. It's a legal requirement for every heavy good vehicle. Here's the problem. If the plant has to cut back, if the plant has to reduce its manufacturing, it's going to reduce the production of AdBlue. And guess what? There's already a shortage. Since April of 2015, all new vehicles sold in Europe can no longer be driven without AdBlue. According to the European Manufacturers Association, AECA, sales of diesel-powered commercial vehicles in the European Union have increased and account for 95.8% of the market. With skyrocketing energy prices, more and more manufacturers have to cease production of AdBlue, leading to a shortage. The consequences are serious and could lead to a logistics nightmare. Without AdBlue, trucks come to a standstill. Products aren't delivered to stores. Supermarket shelves go empty. Everything around the economy collapses. And the Europeans, of course, are not willing to ditch the law mandating AdBlue, which is insane. Now, we have additives in this country that are also added. They tend to be produced here. The problem is that as AdBlue gets short-supplied and natural gas costs go up, and BASF slows down, ibuprofen production slows down, ammonia production for fertilizer slows down, carbon dioxide production for fizzy drinks slows down, AdBlue production slows down, which means they have to import American equivalents to Europe for diesel fuel if they're going to keep the trucks moving. This is really not a good thing. Is Vladimir Putin playing hardball to a degree? And the question is whether or not the Europeans allow him to get away with it. And they might not, but in not doing it, they are increasingly unflexible. And then in this country, Joe Biden has announced he's going to continue to release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This is important because the Biden administration is looking at having to fill it back up again. We're running low 
on oil in our strategic petroleum reserve. The Biden administration wanted to keep gas prices low to help Democrats get elected, and the chickens are coming home to roost on this. Let me explain this one to you. Europe is on the verge of a diesel shortage because they can't get the additive ad blue because of high natural gas prices. Trucks in Europe can't run on the roads without it. They're going to have a problem. OPEC is increasing the or decreasing oil production, which is going to drive up prices. And meanwhile, in this country, to try to mitigate the economic impact and help the Democrats, Joe Biden has been withdrawing from our strategic petroleum reserve. It is now the lowest it has been in more than a decade. If he fills it back up, he's going to do so at a very high price. If he continues to withdraw from it at the rate he has been withdrawing from it, it will go empty. It is the strategic petroleum reserve. We need it for reasons of national security, and he is withdrawing from it to help the Democrats mitigate the coming Republican wave. As OPEC decides to cancel production and decrease it by 2 million barrels a day, that's going to drive up prices unless Joe Biden commits to emptying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. If he does, it's going to hurt our national security, and he's going to have to fill it back up with even higher oil prices. Joe Biden is causing a national security crisis to try to get Democrats elected, not even to try, but to mitigate the damage. He's willing to risk a national security crisis in order to ensure that the Democrats get elected by voters not being mad about high gas prices. Here comes OPEC cutting its production, which is going to cause prices already. Prices are up about to $90 a barrel. They had almost gotten down to 80. They're back up to about 90. They're going to go back up. You've still got hurricane issues in, in South Florida and in the production areas of the Gulf of Mexico. More storms might be coming. Gas prices are going up. You're in five weeks before the election. This could be really, really bad. And they don't care because they'll do anything they can to stop Republicans getting elected. The Democrats are willing to harm our long-term national security because they believe Republicans are a bigger threat. They think Republicans in charge of Congress are an epistemic threat to our republic that must be stopped. They know Republicans are a danger to democracy. They know Republicans are authoritarian. They know Republicans are bad, so they must do anything possible to stop the rise of the GOP, to stop the Republican wave, to stop a guy like Herschel Walker from getting to the Senate, to stop Kevin McCarthy from being Speaker of the House. They got to do anything and everything. And if it is wiping out the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, they will do it despite our national security, because they believe Republicans are a greater threat to our national security than China, Russia, Iran, ISIS, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, anything else. They have internalized their hatred for the Republican Party. The Republican Party are just a bunch of domestic terrorists. And it's not good for any of us. Pete Buttigieg was on with Neil Cavuto and my gosh, this guy, he's just alienating to Americans. Listen to this. 
You know, uh, I definitely think we'll be in a better situation when we're not dependent on a commodity that is largely being produced in foreign dictatorships. It's one of many, many reasons why American energy security will benefit from homegrown clean energy, which is, of course, exactly the direction we're trying to go into for the long term. For the short term, you've had measures like uh, the strategic oil reserve, measures like the flexibility on ethanol. A big part of the reason why he saw gas prices go down so much over the summer. And we've got to make sure we're continuing to bring that short-term relief, because uh, even though I'm excited about America leading the way into a future where we don't have to wait on uh, some Middle Eastern country in order to get our energy, uh, uh, you know, the, the reality is that's not happening overnight. And uh, we've got to make sure we're prepared on both fronts. Uh, that's what he says. And, you know, he wants us to switch to battery-powered cars, of course. Well, yeah, yeah. it's, it's not like we can uh, we can assume that just tomorrow the sun's going to come up and uh, we don't need any, any fossil fuels, right? We're in a transition, and transitions are complicated. And, again, it's one of the reasons why you saw the president act so aggressively to bring gas prices down, make it easier for Americans to afford gas, because, you know, most Americans are, are, are driving a gas-powered car. Uh, and so it's one of many reasons why we need to manage this transition transition in a smart way, but but we can't afford to, to drag our feet. And there's certainly nothing to be gained uh, by trying to stop this progress or slow down American leadership when it's it's very clear uh, that industry and and the world are moving in a direction that's going to be cleaner uh, at a time when, when most of us believe that climate change is real. And most of us recognize there are amazing numbers of good paying American jobs to be had if we insist on the U.S. rather than somebody like China leading the way into that clean energy future. You know, though, if we just produce more domestic fossil fuels, which we're still going to need, we're not all going to go batteries. Planes aren't going to go battery. Farm equipment's not going to go battery. Your car is not going to go battery. We could lower prices today. We could lower energy prices today. We could lower inflation today. If we did it, the Biden administration is just convinced we cannot do that. They would rather us all be damned to high prices in order to get a battery-powered future that will never come than accept reality. They're living in a pipe dream. It's not going to help us. And now it looks like the situation may get worse because of what's going on in Europe. Real quick here, you got to also listen to this from Steve Kornacki on MSNBC, on NBC's new polling data. Five weeks to go, so let's take a look here. First, the big picture indicator. We always say the president's job approval rating, usually the most reliable indicator of how midterms are going to go. For Democrats, this is not good news. Joe Biden's average approval rating is 42.7%. Put that in perspective here with modern presidents at this exact same point in their first midterm, and Biden's right at the same level that Trump uh, that Obama, that Bill Clinton were in what were brutal midterms for them. The only exception in modern times, George W. Bush a year after 9-11. You see what this meant for Trump. He lost the House in 18 for Obama. His party lost the House in 10 for Bill Clinton. His party lost the House in 94. Biden's approval rating is right in that range. That's the bad news for Democrats. What's made this a little bit more complicated, though, is when you look at the generic ballot, when you ask folks, Democrat or Republican, who would you like to see control Congress next year? The Republicans actually now have the lead on average on this question. It's by one point. Democrats actually were ahead until the last week or two. But if you look at the past, the most recent wave elections in midterms, 18, 14, 10, 06, these were all wave elections. And the party that won those waves was up by more than a point at this juncture in the race. So the generic ballot, closer than we've seen in wave elections of recent times. Biden's approval rating looks bad for Democrats. The generic ballot has them more competitive, though. That's what's causing a little bit of the uncertainty here. 
Yeah, but is that uncertainty uncertainty or is it polling error? We'll find out. Energy prices, they start going back up. You're going to see an even bigger jump in the generic ballot for the GOP, and the Democrats know it, which is why they'd rather wipe out our strategic petroleum reserve and jeopardize our national security than hand it over to a group of people they find to be threats to democracy. Ooh, we got five weeks, folks. Five five weeks left until this thing is over. Then we can start talking about 2024. <laughs> we'll be back. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, glad to have you with me. Uh, real quick, I got to play you some audio from uh, the RNC chairwoman about Google and email suppression. Yeah, I mean, Google is participating right now in voter suppression. Okay, that's just a fact. We already have a media that doesn't share the whole story of the news. Thank you for having me on your show and being so honest. Um, so that's what we're, that's the uphill battle. But the American people are smart. And they know that fentanyl is in their cities. They know that crime is running rampant. They know that they're paying more at the pump. They know that their kids have deficits coming out of this yeah. pandemic. And they are ticked off. And that's why we're going to win back the House and the Senate. I get all these emails and they go to my spam folder. And I thank Google for doing it. The Republicans are peddling a fiction. I've talked to a lot of Republican uh, analysts and a lot of Republican uh, strategists, and none of them have problems with their email going to people. They all point out that it's a couple of big shops in Washington, D.C. that have the RNC contracts, and they relentlessly spam you. They're the same people who send you the spam text messages. And it's not that Google is flagging them. It's that Google is flagging the behaviors from IP addresses that list them as spam. They just so happen to be Republican. The Democrats don't do what the Republicans do. And guess what? They get better results. It's so easy these days to believe Google's on the side of the left. Therefore, they're punishing the left. I myself would believe that, except I've managed to talk to Republican consultants and they say, nope, Ours go through. Take Carrie Lake, for example. I get spam messages on a daily basis from Carrie Lake in Arizona from the national group. But when the state consultant for Carrie Lake sends a fundraising email, it comes through. I get Chuck Grassley stuff all the time. My friend Chip Roy, I get his state stuff. I get Greg Abbott's state stuff. I don't get Greg Abbott's national stuff. Right now, I'm getting in spam. I got, uh, let's see, Lee Zeldin, I'm getting uh, Greg Murphy, I'm getting uh, Herschel Walker, I'm getting Alt Charlie Kirk, I'm getting uh, Bo Snurdly, I'm getting Vesley Vega, I'm getting Carrie Lake, I'm getting Blake Masters, I'm getting all these people in spam, and all of them are coming from the same groups in Washington that are flagged as spam. I don't have any sympathy for these people. The amount, the amount of spam that I get from these people, I have no sympathy whatsoever, none whatsoever. The amount of spam that I get from Republicans, the amount of text message spam, if Google is blocking them because they're Republican, they shouldn't be doing that. I don't think that's the case. Talking to Republican consultants who as well are frustrated with these groups in Washington sending that much spam. All I would like to say is thank you, Google. I hate you as a company. I think you're a bunch of woke progressives destroying America. I don't trust you at all, but thank you for saving my inbox from all of these uh, horror 
garish little spam emails trying to collect $5 on outrage, I at least appreciate you doing that to me. And you Republicans, stop spamming all of us and you'll get better response rates and not trip up the spam figures.